Okay, have you ever met a person who was really passionate about their career, enthusiastic about it? And, um, you know, like the English teacher who gets into teaching and they want to do the high-risk schools, and, and they're confident that after a few months that the kids are going to love them, they're going to love poetry, they're going to write awesome compositions and make millions like Hillary in the Freedom Writers. <laughs> yeah. And then a few, later, a few years later, you check in with them, you find out they're no longer teaching because <laughs> it felt like they made no difference at all, no impact. The administration didn't support them. The kids punched them. Parents cussed them out. They're burnt out, utterly deleted, depleted. And they felt like their life made no difference at all. Life didn't work out like in the Freedom Riders. They felt burnt out. And this is not just for caring professionals like counselors, pastors, social workers. It's really common with firemen, pilots, secretaries, doctors, businessmen, parents, feeling like their life is like a teapot where all the water's been boiled out and they are fried to a crisp. Now today I want to look at First Kings. And we're going to look at a man named Elijah, one of God's prophets, who was ter- totally burnt out. And I want to talk about the problem of burnout. So let's welcome the presence of God, because he has something here for us. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your presence with us, for the relevancy of your word, how it can speak into us, Lord, and change us and prepare us for life, that it can comfort us, Lord, and encourage us to move forward in life. And Father, I thank you for um, people like Elijah who aren't superhumans. They're just like us. That give us a picture, Father, of what it feels like. And we thank you for people and for God, Jesus Christ, for his perfect model to us. And Father, I just pray that your spirit would rest on us and teach us and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at First King chapter 19. And we're going to read kind of read the whole 18 verses. So if you guys have your Bible, open it up because um, I am going to be referring mainly from chapter 19, but also from the previous chapter. And I'd like for you guys to read those chapters at other times, too. OK, so let's read chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this and not get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you're going to be as dead as one of those prophets. When Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and then went on to the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in the shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly, an angel took him aside and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and to his surprise, right at his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back, shook him awake again, and said, Get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. He got up, ate, and drank his fill, and set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and nights, all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb, 
When he got there, he crawled into a cave and went to sleep. Then the word of God came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been working my heart out for God Almighty, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go, stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't to be found in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, why are you, what are you doing here? Elijah said it again, I've been working my heart out for God the Almighty, because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. God said, go back the way you came through the desert to Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, make him king over Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, make him king over Israel. And finally, anoint Elijah, son of Shaphtah, from Abel, Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Anyone who escapes death by Ahaziel will be killed by Jehu. And anyone who escapes death by Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Meanwhile, I'm preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed to the god Baal, the mouth that haven't kissed his image. Now, as you read this portion of Kings, you may be familiar with some similarities or parallels between two men who are um, Elijah and Moses. Uh, both of them reach a point where they wanted to die. They were so depleted, they wanted to quit and die. And both of them went, of them went through a time of separation, 40 days, 40 nights. Elijah was sent to Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. So both of them go to Mount Sinai and find God. Both of them have an encounter with God, and they both experience earthquakes, fire, and God passes by both of them. The ministry of Moses and Elijah both prophetically also point to Jesus. In Revelation, both of these guys are mentioned there. Now, secondly, they look like us. These are heroes and they're a type of us. In James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah was an ordinary man, just like us. He's a human being. Character, yes, but he's like us. And sometimes we think Bible characters are above us. There's only one that really is above the rest, and that's Jesus. The rest of them, we can relate to. Their failures and their successes. Elijah experiences burnout. So what are the symptoms of burnout? Maybe as I share these, you're going to figure out, that sounds like me or a friend. Number one, physical exhaustion. Now, <laughs> the chapter right before the one that I read, Elijah's running away from Jezebel. We find Elijah repeatedly in chapter 8 praying for rain. And as part of God's judgment on Israel, there's been a seven-year drought. And so Elijah starts praying for rain to come. And he's asking his servant to keep checking the sky and keep checking the sky for rain. Not one time, two times, three times. 
Now we're going to go in um, chapter 18, verses 45 to 46, and this is what we find there. And sure enough, the seventh time, the seventh time he prayed, he said, Oh yes, a cloud, but very small, no bigger than someone's hand, rising out of the sea. Quickly then, on your way, tell Ahab, saddle up and get down from the mountain before the rain stops you. So this is Elijah responding to his servant. Things happened fast. The sky grew black with wind-driven clouds and then a huge cloudburst of rain with Ahab hightailing it in his chariot for Jezreel. And God strengthens Elijah mightily, pulling up his robe and tying it around his waist. Elijah ran in front of Ahab's chariot until they reached Jezreel. Imagine him running in front of a horse. Okay? How many miles do you think that was? What? 17 miles. What's a marathon? 26? Okay, wow. That's pretty awesome. Right in the spotlight that. And, and not pacing yourself. Just run faster than the horse. So in chapter 19, verse 3, when Elijah saw how things were, he ran for dear life to Beersheba. Far in the south of Judah. I'm trying to put perspective on how exhausted this guy is. He left his young servant in First uh, Kings chapter nine thirteen and run, ran another twenty miles. So seventeen miles, another twenty miles. Verse four, and then went into the desert another day's journey. Another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in his shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all. <laughs> I can imagine. He just wanted to die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. I think he was probably heaving. That was another day's journey. So basically, Elijah was physically spent. You know, you see people that are depleted and exhausted. And not always is it out of frustration. Sometimes it's just physically they're spent. Now, have any of you guys heard about the hurry syndrome? No. Okay. Um, it's really prominent with type A personalities. They try to get a lot of things done quickly, so they multitask. And so you see it a lot in families where the kids are involved in a lot of extracurricular things. Monday, ballet, Tuesday, Thursday, soccer, piano, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Cub Scouts, something Scout. Hurry up. We're going to be late. Hurry up and finish your dinner. Hurry up, get your shoes on, you'll miss the bus. That's the hurry syndrome. Richard Foster, um, in his book Celebration of the Discipline, which actually a lot of the guys um, in one of the community groups have been reading, said this, In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, crowds, and hurry. So we keep trying to squeeze more activities into our life that's already busy to begin with. Now, do you guys know the nickname of a blackberry? Crackberry. Because they're like crack. It's hard to unplug. In fact, sometimes I've seen people on text mixing in the service. <laughs> uh, none of you, probably. You're too old. Elijah ran. <laughs> he was fatigued. Someone once said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. There are certain things we can handle when we're all rested and certain things that we can definitely not handle when we're fatigued. 
It sounds something like this. I'm so tired of complaining, complaining, complaining. I'm so tired of gossip, gossip, gossip. I'm so tired of traffic. I'm so tired. Physical exhaustion opens us up to temptation. Anger, rage, depression, lust, substance abuse. You, know, you put your thing on the blank. When you're tired, you're going to be more susceptible to falling to whatever that temptation that um, haunts you and torments you. Sometimes we're functional atheists. When we become out of control work addicts, we are functional atheists. We think, unless I make things happen, nothing's going to happen. When we do this, our God is too small and we are too big. That's what I call a functional atheist. When people tell me, do you believe in God? Sometimes I have to decide, mm, today did I? <laughs> There's a problem of the second punch. That's problem number one. First is exhaustion. The second one is the second punch. In chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, it says, Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her threats. The gods will get you for this and not get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you're going to be as dead as any one of those prophets. Now, this is not the first time that Jezebel had threatened Elijah. She did it in just the chapter before. In response to Jezebel, God shows up and works powerfully through Elijah. That's when he, you know, burns up the offering and kills all those false prophets. But when this second punch from Jezebel hits him, it knocks him out. Now, I think I see this sometimes in folks who have experienced a great loss or some bad news about their health. The first time they get the news, it is a hard punch. It leaves them reeling. They get in touch with the fact, I'm not immortal. If they're single, they start thinking, I may never get married. I'll never have kids. But once it gets stab stabilized, especially when people rally around them and pray for them, maybe the disease go into remission or they get over the loss. But if there is a second punch of bad news, some folks go into a tailspin and lose all hope. Or in the case of a couple who's experienced an affair, there's grief, denial, many tears, but many marriages are able to heal and forgive and go on caring, especially with the help of friends and counseling. They make it to the other side and they're really able to let go of their past. But in the rare cases where a second affair occurs, it feels like their legs have been cut off. And some lose all hope for healing. So Elijah is not only physically fatigued, he has gotten a second punch at a critical time of his life. It takes a certain worldly detachment to make it through multiple punches. Last year in the midst of many losses, death of a dear family member, death of a vision, death of passion, loss of work, loss of home, Loss of reputation, one punch after another. So what's the first thing we think of when we get a punch and a second punch? Now, not because I'm so smart, although I think I am a little smart. I have determined that no matter what happens in my life, whether the church falls apart or gives us a million bucks in a year sabbatical, if my teenager gets pregnant or my adult children all decide to become missionaries, Everything is usable by God for me to enter into deeper relationship with him. Is that the first? What is the first thing you think about when trouble hits? Whatever that first thing is, 
it could become an idol in your life. John Piper puts it this way. I love this. This is what he calls the first place question. What does it mean in the middle of this heartbreak or success for me to draw closer to the Lord for his pleasure? So Elijah is also suffering from the disappointment of unmet expectations. So he's physically exhausted, second punch, and some unmet expectation. I've been working my heart out for God Almighty. In chapter 18, Elijah calls down the fire of God to consume the sacrifice. God does. Elijah kills single-handed hundreds of false prophets. Didn't the fire of God just come down in chapter 18? So in chapter 19, Elijah expects everything to change from this point on. Everything's going to be all right now. But it doesn't happen. You feel like you made absolutely no difference or impact. Nothing is different. I'm in the same place I was last year. Delay can burn us out. Unmet expectations can burn us out. When a person lives according to God's law, ties regularly, gives to the poor, says no to seductions of any form, that person, a person, okay, me, might begin to think I deserve something. I've lived in the illusion that Jesus had promised me a life without struggle, suffering, and sorrow. He did, in fact, pledge, I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. John chapter 10.10 Well, foolishly, I have lived with the mistaken idea and a strong preference that Jesus was offering worldly comforts and pleasures rather than the indescribable gift of his, his uncomparable friendship. Abundance in life has nothing to do with the absence of suffering. I've discovered that knowing what to expect brings a certain peace. The truth shall set you free. The truth is simple. As long as we're living in this world, we will have difficulties. Sometimes we create them on our own, (laughs) and sometimes they happen upon us. Jesus shows in his teaching and his life that true joy often is hidden in the midst of sadness. A gentleman named William Vander Hoven said, Joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ in the midst of them. Okay, the first, fourth um, symptom of burnt out is then there was a problem of isolation. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. In Hebrew, the word only one left means I alone survived. I alone I'm trying to tell my husband, but he doesn't get it. I feel alone. I feel like I'm all by myself. Burnout is one more common, is mo- much more common in our nation than any other nation in the world. I believe it is because we've been taught to honor self-reliance, rough individualism, the I alone syndrome. Now, solitude produces melancholy, and that is why we're constantly encouraging our folks to get involved in community groups. Now, going to community groups is not a cure-all to isolation. You have to decide to get involved in people's lives and allow them to get involved in your life. But when we have community and we allow folks into our lives, often they can help you leap out of a bad conclusions. When we isolate ourselves, we can make it worse for ourselves by believing the lies of the enemy and cooperating with him. Now, um, isolation can look a little bit more religious than this. I was at a women's conference uh, recently, and we were experiencing a wonderful worship. The gal who was the worship leader was 
very uh, gifted and mature in her worship leading. And so she led us easily into that intimate place in worship. Now, during one of the songs, particularly, we were singing uh, the song, um, You're all I need, you're all I've ever wanted. And right at the climax of this song, I feel someone tapping on my shoulder. How rude. (laughs) So I turn around, and all the ladies are behind there singing and having a great old time. I'm like, okay, whatever. So get back to the song. You're all I've ever wanted. Tap again. And I thought, okay, is Benjamin here? (laughs) Because that's the kind of trick Benjamin plays, you know. You know, and I turn around and all the ladies are, in fact, I didn't even know them. So I thought, okay, I'm imagining things. And suddenly I hear the Lord say, you know, Clara, that's not true. What? You're all I need. You're all I ever wanted. He goes, that's not true. What do you mean, Lord? I didn't make you that way. So don't be that way. So that's a little bit more religious way of doing isolation. We think God's enough. And God knows very well he's not enough. He said in Genesis, I don't need to rehearse that it's not good for man to be alone. Verses is not good. And he knows that we need one another. You know, I can't sing that song anymore with the passion I used to. For I know I don't just need God. Although that sounds very religious, I need you. You need me. We need one another. Okay, fifth problem is the problem of inflated view of self-importance. Verse 14. Joy, you did such a great job on the PowerPoints. I'll have to look at them later. I've been working my heart out for God Almighty, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenants, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I, the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. I am the only one left is the whole plan The whole plan has come down to me. It's me. Everything is about me. God isn't doing anything. Only that which happens through me. Now, you may not, you know, suffer from this kind of megalomania. (laughs) But if we think about it, sometimes we do think we're indispensable. We think it's all about to fall apart because it all falls on me. We may be suffering from an inflated view of our self-importance. Christian leaders believe this all the time. Believe me. It comes down to this. This church will happen only if I make it happen. This community group will happen only if I pray enough. This ministry will happen only if I, this job, this family, this relationship. It all becomes about you. Now there's this old saying that I like saying over and over. So if you've heard it before, it's okay. There is a God and you are not him. God is at work, and he is the one who sustains, and he's the one who works, even if you don't think he is, because he is good, and he loves us. And he has no interest to destroy, kill, or rob from us. That is Satan's job description, not God's. So how does God lift Elijah up from this burnt-out state? So here we can see how to crawl out of our little pit, or help somebody else crawl out of their pit. First of all, he feeds them. Very practical. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head, where a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water, and he ate the meal and went back to sleep. 
Get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. So he got up, ate, and drank his fill, and so forth. God gives him something to eat. God is good. He cares. He knows what you need. He's not just into your spiritual life. He's into your physical life. Part of our problem may be, now, please let the Holy Spirit convict you and not me, if you're this kind of person. If you've not been a good steward of your body, and you've been wrecking your body that God has given you by not sleeping enough, or poor diet, or lack of exercise, or not caring for your emotional health, then you're, you're ignoring some early signs toward burnout. Uh, when was the last time you took a whole day off and really rested? When was the last time you felt real joy about life? What I like to do, and I want you guys to do, is I want you to write a list of things I like to do. Not things I should do, but things I like to do. And hopefully some of the things on that list will be things that you should do. So if you have that piece of paper and a pen, I want to do it now. So I'm committed to this. Scott likes to eat ham. He told me today. Okay, you can finish that list later on, but at least you've got maybe two, three things on there. Whatever it is, find a spot. You want to stay out of burnout, do these things. Do something on that list this week. Get together with friends and laugh. Read a book just because, not because you have to. And maybe those who are preparing for finals aren't going to be able to do that this week, but next week you should. Ask yourself... Am I doing any of these things on this list? Yesterday, I ended up with several, doing several of my favorite things. I got to hang out with Randy almost a whole entire day. There were two hours when I couldn't, but the rest of the time I was with him. And then I even pulled out a book that I'm reading about orphans. has nothing to do with pastoring. That was wonderful, although I like to read books about pastoring. And I did some other things that I won't mention. Okay, number two. God gives Elijah new grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts. Focus, everybody. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. There's that self-reliance not in there. We are pressed on every side by trouble, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Now, Paul is under a lot of stress in these verses. He's under a heavy load. 
And as we, whenever you study scripture, it's a good idea to look for words that are repeated. They are usually important, even if they're little words. In these verses, what is that word? But. But, 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 but. What we might expect to happen to Paul under these circumstances is for him to explode. One thing gets Paul through this time. Great power from God, which is another word for grace. Grace of God keeps him safe. Sometimes when we're in in a ball in a corner, so out of it, what's going to make the difference for Elijah? Not fireworks, not an aha moment with God. Draw back to God. Let him soften your heart. Be connected to God through his word, through the church, through prayer. Let God give you a new paradigm about what's happening around you. He did that for Elijah. You are not alone, Elijah. There's a lot of others like you. God spoke to him in a still, small voice. If you're burnt out, don't expect an amazing aha encounter with God like earthquakes. Don't look for a dramatic boulder to fall on you. No, you just need God. (laughs) Find a quiet place in your home or your apartment or your garden and find a comfortable chair. And just be. Be with God. Don't think about all the great things he's done for you. Don't worry about confessing or repenting or thanking. Just be with God. Try it for 60 seconds. Maybe it'll bump up the next time to 90 seconds. Maybe stretching it at 120 seconds. Before you know it, it can move to 5 or 10 minutes. God's so kind. He gave Elijah physical help. He gave him new grace and new ways of thinking about things. And he also gave him new marching orders. God is the God of second chances. Think about Jonah. You might think, that's it. You're in the belly of the whale or the big fish, whatever that was. That was my one shot. I blew it. God's done with me. How about Peter? When he denied the Lord and turned the way he did from God. Now you did it, Peter. That's it. You're all washed up. But no, he had lots of life ahead of him. In fact, I just finished reading First and Second Peter, and I was so moved by the maturity of that man. Not the man I saw in the Gospels. If you're thinking, I cannot do this anymore. Or you feel like you're headed for a meltdown and you can't keep going. I'm done. If anything's going to happen, it's going to happen through me. Then stop and seek God and be with him. Just seek him. You may be wondering how this works into the relational care series that we've been studying together a lot. When you see somebody around you that you think looks like they're headed for a meltdown, then use everything you got that you've been trained in this church to minister to them. Appreciation, respect, support, affection, approval, all of those, comfort. Put them into action. Don't just pretend to love people. That verse we read the other couple weeks ago, but really love people. Let's do our part to care for one another. Okay. Now, we're going to have communion. Because just like Elijah had bread and water, Jesus gives us bread and water over and over and over again. And he gave us the commandment to do communion and remembrance of his provision for us. 
And so if you guys, anybody has been feeling burnt out, as you take this, just imagine that you're like Elijah, that you thought, I'm going to die. And he gets wakened up, and God provides for him. I mean, it's kind of weird. You've been running for days, and you wake up, and there's nothing there, and then also there's a nice loaf of bread that was probably warm, and a jar of water. It wasn't even a puddle of water. It was a jar of water. That was a supernatural, miraculous way of God's move in his life. And God wants to provide for us. And what he did on the cross was not just for healing of our sins, although that is such a major load off of our backs, but it was for healing of our physical body because he cares about our body. It was from healing from our emotional torment because he cares about our emotions. It was healing for our spiritual person because he cares about our spirit because our spirit is going to live with him forever and ever. Okay, so God is into meeting your need and healing you. So if you, when you take communion, and we're going to all do it together, we're going to pass the elements around, whatever it is that you need healing for or you need God's provision for, allow the the cracker and the sparkling cider or whatever it is, sparkling grape juice, to be symbolically God's symbol to you of I'm going to provide. I am with you. You're not alone. Okay, and we're going to do this together as a body because not only we're we connected to Jesus, but we're connected to the body. And so we need one another. So we're going to wait to have communion with each other. Now, Priscilla and uh, Eddie, would you help me? Priscilla, you um, can pass out the crackers. And No, let Eddie do the crackers. Simpler. The guy cuts people up. He can pass crackers around. Okay. And Priscilla, you can do the, the juice. And um, Daniel, Danielson, would you come on this side to help with the juice thing? And let's see. Who would like to help Scott with communion? Because he's going to need help, um, you know, taking it. Anybody wants to just, are you doing it? Okay. You're going to help Scott? No? Joy's uncomfortable with that. Who would like to, to help Scott? Scott is the, the gentleman um, in the wheelchair. Okay. Thanks, Patsy. Make sure Patsy gets a cracker, too, though. You can put the music a little bit higher. It's nice.
can never re- remember which one he took first. Spread? Thank you. God forbid I wouldn't mix it up. Okay, <laughs> we're going to start with the bread. Father, we just thank you so much for your provision. Thank you that you freely gave your body up for us and for the world. And Father, that um, this cracker, whether it was a cracker or a french fry or a piece of bread or tortilla, represents to us, Lord, your broken body given on our behalf. That we could have a relationship with you. We could let you be God for us to be your created, beloved children. So, Lord, we just take this cracker now as our commitment to let you be God and for you to come in and fill us up and heal us and cleanse us and make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cracker. Sparkling cider, representing God's blood that he freely allowed to be poured out from him. He chose to do that so that we could be free from all the consequences of final death and so that we could have eternal life with him. That's an awesome promise, you guys. That'll get us through. It'll take us to the end. So remember that as you take this now. Take this in. We recommit ourselves, Lord, to you to live a holy life before you. Laying down, Father, every sin that so easily encumbers us, easily makes us trip over. And we put our eyes on you, Lord. Thankfully, Lord, and gratefully, Lord, with great pleasure, we choose to adore you and to follow you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You need prayer? Come up. Those who are want to pray, come up too. Bless you. We'll see Randy next week. He's uh, helping Jamie get their stuff from California. <laughs>